This podcast was recorded on the stolen lands of the Wandry people of the Kulin Nation and Gunjadamara country. We pay our respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to any First Nation peoples listening in today. We acknowledge the ongoing intergenerational trauma caused by colonisation and honour First Nation peoples' deep connection to culture, language, skies, country and sea country. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be. Aboriginal land. In the heat of Welcome to Loud Angry and Not Sorry, where we talk about politics and systems from a feminist perspective. This week we are discussing seismic blasting with Zoe Britton, a warnable local and together we can stop seismic blasting protest organiser. And she's also completing a PhD in marine science, focusing on seaweed. Zoe, that sounds delicious. Please tell us more. Oh, thanks so much uh, for having me. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky down here in Warrnambool. We're actually like the capital of the entire world for seaweed. We have the most, uh, yeah, the most species and the most rich. That's not what I thought you were going to say. But also Warrnambool being the capital of anything is pretty cute. I know. Look at us go. (laughs) Warrnambool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's all sort of like this stretch of the Great Southern Ocean. We've got a beautiful reef down here with all the lovely seaweed. And I'm pretty lucky. I've got a lot of cool people in my lab doing awesome like chemical analysis and like super hard genetics work and I get to just talk to people which is awesome I talk to people about their relationship and connections to seaweed and their views on the developing like sort of commercial industry and management more widely in particular um, I speak to a lot of First Nations, Wathorong and Gunchamara uh, stakeholders around, just pretty much get to chat about it all. So, <laughs> Wow. So does the seaweed have like a strong Indigenous history? Super strong. So uh, Yeah, I don't know why I asked that. So I'm like, of course it would. <laughs> no, well, that's embarrassingly the first published work that acknowledged it was published in 2018. It was a project I was a part of. Prior to that... Um, Typical, you know, white people business. We're like, oh, well, it's not written down. So, yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> that was sort of like, unfortunately, where it was sitting even as recently as five years ago in terms of like academic and industry in Australia. And now, yeah, we're starting to see a real uptick in rightful acknowledgement of the role that the seaweed plays in the lives of Indigenous people in Australia and also. Uh, the right they have to have a say over future commercial endeavours on their sea country. Yeah, you'd think. So seismic blasting, what is it? Is it a sex thing? (laughs) Oh, God, I feel like this would be so much more fun if it was. Um, (laughs) But... It's I get more media a, attention, hey? <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe more people turn up to the rally. Who knows? <laughs> it's pretty much a technique that's used to map out the seafloor and things that are just under the seafloor. And how it's done is they pretty much blast extremely, extremely loud sound for periods of time. And those sound waves are able to like reverberate into the seafloor. And that's how they get their sort of image. Um, but sound travels a lot differently in water than in air. And it actually doesn't break down as much as I guess if we were listening to it you know you stand further away and in air you know not quite as loud but in water it stays very very loud um and we're talking like loud enough that it is four or five times like work safe allowed to be around sort of sort of sounds and of course our concern with that 
there are lots of things that live in the water but potentially don't want to be blasted yeah. with sound. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like it would have like quite a significant impact. What kind of marine life lives down there and like Yeah. The hard thing about answering that question is that it's like literally everything. <laughs> oh, wow. Makes it hard to talk about. So you've got the ones that might be a bit more obvious like whales we all know whales communicate using sound we actually have a whale nursery here in Warrnambool so all the mums come with their bubs every year and it's with they nurse them until they've got a bit more strength or as the water changes temperature and they can go off to their next little venture and it's also an incredibly culturally significant area to do with those whales there are ancient song lines that you know those song lines are so important to the Kudunchumara peoples and to this area and the threat of this sound to the whales but also these song lines that have been you know, mm-hmm. around for millennia, we all know that maybe even, you know, just ship noise can affect whales and affect their migration and affect how they communicate to each other. Um, other mammals like seals and dolphins are sort of in the same bot and they may be things we relate a bit more to because, you know, they've got ears, we've got ears, <laughs> we're all mammals, we sort of get along. But then it goes right down to the very sort of building blocks of life. So little zooplankton fellows that, you know, we most commonly think of like the whales eating all the zooplankton and things like that. Mm. The little tiny little floaties. Um, The sound is so loud that some, a lot of research has shown that it has the ability to literally explode zooplankton. Whoa. Different to different rates depending on how close or far they are, but has a high level of mortality for them. Unfortunately, a lot of the research seismic testing companies use doesn't look at things on a long scale. So, you know, we might see that in a year, the mortality rate for these zooplankton, it seems like they're back to normal. But maybe if we miss like a reproductive cycle or, or a larger cycle that it may be we see impacts of the loss of life later down the track. Mm. And for me in particular with seaweed, seaweed are like very strange little creatures out there in the ocean, but a lot of them have, not to like bore you senseless, but they have like di or triphasic life cycles, which means they've got like two or three different stages. And often for some of them, one of the stages like microscopic, and yeah. that's their like reproductive stage. So if we're blasting their little reproductive bits and pieces that are out floating in the water and they explode, what's the implication then Yeah. later on for, you know, five, 10 years down the track when they potentially haven't been able to have a year of recruitment? I thought these guys were pro-life. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? It's like, come on. This complicatedness is how they try to, I think, downplay the risks. So they might have research looking at fish, but it's only grown-up fish and maybe the young fish are more impacted. God, as it, it doesn't sound like the research they used to do on the 50s on just cis-het white men. Literally. ages of like. Also like Western bias because all the species that they're kind of using it from the Northern Hemisphere. We're in the Southern Hemisphere. And they're like, oh, it's the same, same, same. Same, same. Yeah, my shocked face. Like, I, I, yeah. can't, I can't believe that there's bias. <laughs> so can you just give us a, an overview of what is happening or has been happening along the Great Ocean Road and in the Gunjinamara Sea Country? Yeah, so the reason this is like, unfortunately, we've all had to learn against our will about seismic testing and how it works. Is because... I think it's fascinating, to be honest. So stop that. Yeah. <laughs> What they're planning to do is there is a number of companies wanting to do offshore exploration for uh, oil and gas using seismic testing. 
This area is larger than any area that has been explored off the coast in this area and in parts is closer to shore than has ever happened before. They're also using a technology 3D seismic testing, uh, which is different than 2D seismic testing that has been used in the past and potentially has a further range of implications. And where they're wanting to do this, like we said, it now encapsulates like very close to, if not on whale migration routes. We also have the little penguins. We have a number of really important commercial species down here being like, you know, out in whoop whoop country people. So we're all the crayfish, abalone, and not to mention like other bony fish. And the real impact of that is we don't know, you know, what this could potentially do to those species. And in particular as well, uh, culturally, such an important area with those ancient song lines and also just with so many culturally important species like we mentioned seaweed such a key cultural species and we don't we don't know what seismic testing will do to it because there hasn't been any research and in fact in their environmental management plan that they've submitted so far some of these companies uh seaweed's not mentioned once so just to clarify seaweed is something that a lot of fish eat Yes. Yeah, it's it's so fish eat it, but it's also creates uh, so algae and seaweed create yeah. about sixty percent, if not more, of the entire world's oxygen. <laughs> Why would you bother? Eh? I'm in the I'm in the like hate trees gang. Seaweeds where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> Cut down a tree, plant more seaweed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and they create habitat, like all the little fishies live in it. Yeah. They do these things. They were used like culturally for such a wide range of reasons. It's like you name it, that's what it was used for from, from diet to medicine to clothing, basket weaving, all like everything you could imagine. The lack of research is often suggested in a way that proves no harm. Well, there's no proof that it does harm them, which I think is against the precautionary principle, which is this term that's often used. We want to be precautionary and make sure we're doing the least harm. But we see the risk is now being borne by the environment and by the people who live there because yeah. the lack of proof of harm is being used as a go-ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm just I'm really over how these companies really weaponize a system that was pr- supposed to support and protect and they try and find loopholes so that they just don't don't have to do the right thing and they don't have to look after people and country. It's but That's actually how I got involved, me and a few of my colleagues slash friends from uni in organising against Seismic is we went along to one of the community consultations that is legally required of these organisations as part of the management plan. Yeah. And we actually didn't expect to say anything. Yeah. Like we just wanted to go and see what they would say. Yeah. But what they were saying for us as people with a scientific background who have an in-depth understanding of research, how things work, what these terms use, and especially like what's good research design and how you can generalise results of certain studies, it was literally like we were possessed by demons. We were all sitting there being like, no, we won't say anything. And then my friend who like is not a particularly outspoken person, just like started like saying something and she was like, oh, oh, it's like (laughs) in this room full of people just started arguing with someone about like, no, no, that's not what that means. And we were so astonished at how things were being presented in this consultation that we now have been, yeah, part of a awesome like staunch group of mostly women getting these protests and getting this stuff off the ground to be like, no, this is not consultation. Yeah. Is that the extent of their their (laughs) consultation is like gaslighting the public? Yeah, it's tricky. They are going through 
this process of creating this environmental management plan and they're meant to take our concerns into account. And my personal experience is I don't, obviously when you're talking to people from the companies, the various companies, it's like their PR outreach person. It's not necessarily a scientist. And so we don't necessarily have faith that our questions were actually being understood to the level they should be when we were asking very specific scientific questions. But then also the other thing is that we've recently discovered they were asked in a webinar directly if all the First Nations groups along where this is proposed came out and said, we do not want seismic testing to go ahead on our sea country, what would your response be? And what we were told was, and this is recorded like and published on some of our social media, but what we were told is that if they had a blanket no, that is not something they're actually required to assess or take into consideration. Because the consultation process is to discuss how and when it happens. So for us, that makes us go, well, what is consultation? If us, the people who live here, who rely on this ocean for our livelihoods and live in this area, and people who have been caring for this sea country since time immemorial cannot say, sorry, the risks are too great. Yeah. Who's the, um, the local member in that area? Is it Nationals Country or is it Labor or Liberal? It's Liberal at a federal level, Dan Tehan. Okay. Luckily, though, and this is the really uh, thing I think that's in this process that has at least been really heartening, is it's been like really um, ground level up in terms of um, the people who live here actually opposing this. Like you'll often hear comments being made, you get them on socials regardless, saying oh, it's just like, you know, renter activists from Melbourne, all these green greeny environmentalists. But this has such far-reaching impacts that actually the local council, so Moynshire and Warrnambool City Council, have actually come out in opposition. Wow. Openly come out in opposition to seismic testing in the the region. And that sort of cross-support, and that was almost all the councillors from both coming out against it. And, you know, we're down in the region, so that was, like, amazing to see. And we've got, you know, lots of concerns from commercial fishers. Also, we rely on really heavily tourism here. And there's this impact, potential impact that's been overlooked on, you know, what is the, I guess, social damage that Mm. could be done? Do tourists who want to come here to enjoy the natural environment want to come if they know this is happening? Like, especially Mm. we get a lot of tourists to see the whales, we get all this... So that has real livelihood impacts. And a lot of what we're seeing in some environmental management plans are companies putting in place potential payouts for commercial fishermen if they're impacted rather than prevention. That's what we are finally listening to and opening our eyes to in in the scientific, Western scientific community is, you know, we are always limited by the data. There's only so much we can collect, only so much funding we can have to be in places, but the knowledge and depth of connection that traditional owners have with a place that they have cared for since time literally began yeah their understanding and depth is something that we can never even hold a candle to Mm. so many generations passed on and and such a level of connection that if traditional owners are saying hey i don't think this is good Mm. well if we don't have enough data to say either way they have the knowledge yeah. They have the knowledge, it's their land, and that's something that doesn't seem to be respected in the process. I mean, how many times do First Nation peoples have to come out and say, you're doing this wrong, this is how we do it? Like, I mean, off the top of my head, like fire. Burning, burning. off and fire management. Yeah. yeah. Indigenous people have been doing that forever, and we're only just going like, oh, hey, what if we did this thing? <laughs> like, 
um the eel traps um, yeah that's like, that, boom. like you know and that, that's another thing as well the eels down here the eels are not specifically considered an environmental management plan they're just classed under bony fish oh cool but you know bony fish are a group a lot of lot of diversity you know if we're comparing like a tuna to an eel yeah it doesn't sit right with me as a scientist and also doesn't sit right with me just like as somebody who's seen both of those fish like <laughs> Imagine if you're doing those, like, one of those pictures and you're just like, one of these things is not like the other. And you're like, no, apparently they're all just bony fish and that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we've got a World Heritage listed, not that we should go by necessarily how we qualify things, but the government or, or whoever the powers that be want to go by their own standards budge boom is world heritage listed yeah you wouldn't this know it amazing. Roads to get in there but yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we're potentially put in a lot of the species the species that have been utilized there for years at yeah. risk yeah um what's the alternative to seismic blasting yeah i guess as a local there are trade-offs to be considered with seismic blasting there's obviously going to be impacts there are a range of newer technologies that can do similar things that uh, blast sound that's a lot less loud and they do it in a different way it is much more expensive Mm. and so that's almost feels as though not wanting to invest in safer technology therefore that that burden of risk has been pushed onto the public and the natural environment look i'm shocked like we've never seen it anywhere else before i can't believe it's happened and here in australia absolutely not yeah and i guess like it also depends for some people when we're looking at what the seismic testing is looking for, mm. you know, because if we're looking for oil and gas or if we're looking for renewables, those are two very different scenarios when you're, when you're looking at the potential benefits versus the potential harms. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do read different things depending on what's happening, but isn't like gas and oil, like, like a dead industry. Like yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of gas and oil companies kind of moving away from gas and oil. Like even that, like when Hazelwood closed down the coal power plant in Gippsland, that wasn't a government decision. Hazelwood was privately managed by a French company who just decided that their board members just decided that there's no money in coal and it's not worth investing in keeping this coal plant running because there's just no future in it. So they literally just closed it. Obviously that had detrimental impact on the the socioeconomics of, of Gippsland, but that wasn't the gas and coal's problem or fault. It was because our government has terrible systems in place that doesn't support people. And there's some really great areas in Victoria in particular. There's some really great mini docos and, and some little things put together that I can, can't remember off the top of my head, but I'll give you some details of about yeah, how some of these like rural areas from ground up have started like a skill change to renewables Yeah. Um, because, you know, they, they are recognising and looking at the future and longevity of these things. Yeah. And I think as well, like a lot of how gas and oil is spoken about is around future needs. Mm. And a lot of that projection is under the assumption that we'll keep using as much as we do now, which is yeah. not and what gr- we're actually seeing in the train trends. No, and it's that that growth at any cost mindset that under capitalism just feeds this narrative of just bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess that's, that's like what we're the growth at any mindset is like tricky. It seems a bit confusing for us down here, especially in the consultation where like we know we have so much reliance on commercial fisheries and tourism down here also as a university student I worry it's so we're so lucky to have a rural campus Mm. down in Warrnambool like it's fantastic it's it's also so close to the great southern ocean which is just teeming with life Mm. I said I hate trees 
I also hate the Great Barrier Reef. Take that Great Barrier Reef. We've got the Great Southern Reef. We're we're better. But <laughs> yeah, it, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's turf war here. But it's just such a shame to think that if this happens in this area, a lot of students choose to come down here because they think they're walking into a environmentally minded community yeah who loves their natural environment and loves where they live and from some of the students we've spoken to if they knew seismic testing was happening off the coast here they would have gone to a different university we're already struggling with brain drain in areas like this where people leave rural areas to go get educated and find jobs yeah the potential impacts of this like really sort of hurts my heart as someone who didn't grow up here but my my whole dad's family did for a few generations and I spent every school holidays here and was lucky enough to be able to come back here permanently for my studies Mm. and just thinking that you know because of these choices will that mean other people don't come along like will it even be viable yeah and we've got all so many other challenges facing now I think that can be a challenge of a lot of these not necessarily just this issue but how a lot of like environmental management plans are for for future xyz whatever is that they're often seen uh, as standalone when we know our our marine environment is already struggling with pollution human-induced climate change all of these problems because the waters are warming we're seeing more invasive species spread down further and further the coast and it's just like do we need to add other things and if we are adding other things do we know for a fact that their impact will be negligible or or manageable even as someone with like uh, like negative a thousand knowledge about science and seismic testing and all of this kind of stuff if you're putting a force that strong into an environment where it doesn't belong it's going to have an impact like this it's it, it, it's reminding me of when people say were telling me that vaping was healthier than smoking and I'm like <laughs> yeah. Sir, you are still inhaling things into your lungs that is not going to be good for your bronchioles I'm sorry but no yeah yeah and that's exactly I think how it's been feeling for a lot of us and the, and the tricky thing is uh, it's so tricky for people who don't have a science background right because you get this vibe of being like this doesn't seem right yeah but you know what 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 can I do I don't yeah. really know and so we're really hoping that this rally can bring people together who have that concern can yeah. hear a little bit about maybe the science concerns hear very importantly from you know, First Nations people. Mm. And then we're also at the rally going to have very awesome pop-up letter writing stand where we will have stamped envelopes ready to go. You can choose the MP of your choice from a list and like write it, write to them, tell them, tell them your concerns. And we're hopefully going to, you know, keep that pressure on. We are seeing some really good in this space broader, like globally and in Australia, where a few things, proposals, which was very rare in the past, being turned down or being passed with restrictions, which usually you wouldn't see happen. So, you know, I think a lot of people are coming together to create change, which is a shame that I guess maybe the structure of how these things are set up means change will never happen unless there's a lot of that pressure. But yeah. yeah. So is it Dan Tian who's the federal member? Yes, for our area. And is it is it federal that's that's in charge of this kind of nonsense? Yeah. And it's a, a bit of a tricky tension because, you know, state, Vic being in Victoria State has a bit of a different approach to renewals than yeah. federal. So if you've got labor labor state. We have Liberal State. Oh. Um, yeah, Liberal State, uh, but our local Liberal State, Robert Britnell, is uh, quite community-minded. Yeah. We've had a meeting with her and she was, like, actually very open and want, wanted to discuss with us 
our concerns and wrote them down at his meeting with us again and with meeting with lots of people to actually openly discuss it. I was very open about, you know, maybe I just don't understand the science enough. So like, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's still talking to her about her positioning and things like that. But federally, it's very tricky because I think often you can feel like you're being used as a pawn in a almost culture war between different sects, like the left and the right, potentially, where no matter what happens, lefties like renewables or so we'll stick to gas and coal and like it it can be quite frustrating for the people where this stuff is happening yeah um that's fun Mm. that's just that's yeah so but you've got council on board local council yeah so and our local councils are like a very diverse groups of people yeah but they you know they live here yeah they talk to people and they know what our community's like and both the local councils like local to where I am, have said no. They've come out in in complete opposition and complete concern with the impacts. And I think, like, that's, you know, sometimes quite rare to get two rural councils to be like, Mm. hell no, not good. And you've got all these different local groups coming together to be like, no, we don't like how this is happening, you know, raises a lot of question around the legitimacy of the consultation process. Yeah. I mean, from what you said, it didn't sound good like it was kind of you know the guy from the simpsons with the and the monorail guy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean just simple things like you know i'm pretty sure co- contact was only very recently made with traditional owners Ooh. and they mentioned they struggled and they tried but like yeah and and they were able to do research without consultation with the actual traditional owners into sea country cultural stuff which for me is like a big like like how can you how can we as white people interpret it without guidance yeah um and you know guidance is even not enough it should be led yeah but um this rally is just to try and like bring people together to know that they're not alone in feeling like kind of weird about this yeah and to really show how collective we are in like sort of opposing this yeah yeah fantastic so when's the rally it's 2 p.m on sunday the 22nd of october down at the breakwater in warnable mm-hmm. uh if you're in the region also if you're a surfer or stand-up paddleboarder there'll be a paddle out as well so you can bring your gear and, and hang out and we're going to have some fantastic speakers and some singing and some pop-up actions you can do and really just want people to turn up so we can show that the local people here like are not happy with how this yeah. is going ahead yeah is it being live streamed or uh, we should have a video on that i think uploaded afterwards okay it is crazy windy and warnable that's windy warnable is off the yeah. nickname so that <laughs> it might just be have to be like post yeah. so they can add some subtitles and things like that yeah, and so you can yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually hear what everyone's doing yep I can appreciate that for me personally in my research not seeing seaweed included at all just to be very frank pissed me off yeah because seaweed's such an integral part of this region and of like all life on the planet but also seaweed both in the science realm and also in terms of its cultural place is yeah. women's knowledge yeah seaweed research is dominated by women and it is aboriginal women's cultural knowledge of seaweed and to see it completely excluded like that as something that's not even considered just seems to be part of a pattern <laughs> what for the last oh yeah well i wonder what that pattern could be yeah it just really yeah frankly was extremely frustrating yeah just to see the constant devaluation of 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 things that women in particular have a connection to 
Mm. And being being you know a nursery area, a lot of those like song lines really carried heavily by like women's knowledge or passed on and that sort of thing. Yeah. So just to finish up this episode, I'm going to read the quote from uh, Yaren Cousin Bundle, a Gunjitamara woman and whale dreaming custodian who we were hoping could be with us today, but couldn't due to what's the thing called the referendum and all that sort of stuff. Like just crazy busy. Yeah. So so I'm just going to read this quote. Um, seismic blasting companies CGG and TGS are not genuinely engaging with or understanding traditional custodians and their deep reciprocal kinship relationships with sea country. Traditional owner consultation is never about if a project goes ahead, only how and when. Consultation is not consent. In Gunjitamara country, seismic blasting can never coexist peacefully with ancient living creation, songlines and our sacred traditions. No EP environmental plan put forward by any of these companies can truly measure the irreversible damage done by seismic blasting and then drilling into the ocean floor. Many significant southern ocean species from the plankton families, including the southern rock lobster, to other migratory species like the short-finned eel and the largest life on earth blue whales, along with the southern right whales and their nursery waters, have been blatantly dismissed and their rightful place in their own habitats is shown to come last for consideration or isn't independently and thoroughly researched in these massive fossil fuel extraction projects. Our Gunjinamara First Nation birthrights on our place of belonging, sacred country, our ancestors have cared for and occupied for thousands of years, are also not understood so cannot be managed or compromised. We are fighting against the largest blasting survey area in the world on sacred songlines, ancient waters not theirs to destroy. Yeah. Yeah. And she, of course, is so right. And we saw that reflected in some of the consultation processes where cultural significance in a lot of these processes and in the consultations we've been to have been uh, sort of put down as physical sites. Mm. So no acknowledgement or I don't even think understanding of spiritual connections Mm. so it's literally like where where is a site that we should avoid which is not how this works no and it's that weird valuation of where exactly shall we avoid and if we do something bad can we just pay you for it yeah it has been super awesome to see this like sort of cross demographic coming together yeah you know it can be a little bit rough and tumble out here sometimes in terms of like varied perspectives and very interest groups but this seems to have like affected everyone and people are really coming together to be like no you're not doing this here not where we are not on good in Shamara land like it's not happening and that's been really heartening to see, yeah, from, from university students to, you know, your normal sort of great environmental greenies, but through to commercial fishermen, uh, even just like local businesses, we, like a lot of our local pubs have put up signs against it and stuff like that. So fantastic. It's been awesome. Yeah. You know, protesting, community unity and get this shit shut down. Mm-hmm. 